Welcome to the Coffee Cast with Cation and Rubin, powered by Behind the Racket, the podcast dedicated to looking at the top issues facing tennis and getting to know the players facing them. Visit BehindTheRacket.com for the latest stories, merch, as well as direct links to all of the latest podcasts. The Coffee Cast can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. Download the episodes and make sure to leave a review. Special thanks to our sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at newbalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at MikeCTennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. And now. A week after we have eh, a somewhat mediocre Bjorn Fratangelo, uh, we get the better half in every way, shape, or form. Tennis, uh, intelligence, uh, Christmas spirit, everything about it is just much better in Madison Keys. Uh, uh, Madison, uh, Merry Christmas to you. I, I don't know too many people who have as much Christmas spirit as yourself. Thank you. I, um, growing up, we never really decorated. My dad's a Jehovah's Witness. So we weren't allowed to have like Christmas tree or anything Christmas specific. Um, and then obviously as I grew up, I've taken all of those years that I wasn't able to decorate my house and just thrown them into like three years. <laughs> So it's now my insane, house looks a little insane. <laughs> no, but like you're you're talking about hours spent on this. It seems like it. I mean, I see pictures from Bjorn and you're just under the tree packing stuff, making it look pretty. And it's like a winter wonderland there. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's a little tough because it's Florida and it's like high of 83 today. Just put your thermostat down to like 54. Yeah, keep it really cold inside. So <laughs> more than <a> nice <laughs> Bjorn just like throws rice at you. I don't know. Anything that just makes it look like snow. But uh, no, we're actually really excited to have you here again. Yes, after we have your lovely boyfriend, who I am a big fan of, we have you, which my grandmother is a tremendous fan of. <laughs> I know, your grandma <laughs> likes me more than she likes you. I'm oh my so God. happy. Yeah, quick sidetrack. We were at the USTA and I was playing, and you know, I haven't seen my grandmother in a while. And she's like, hey, Noah, how are you? We're hugging everything. And she's like, wait, who's that? Is that who I think it is? And I'm like, if you mean Madison Keys, then yes, it is. She's like, I'm going on the court. I'm like, she's training. You can't just walk on the court. She's like, but, but, but I, I can. can. And it's happening. And, and then, then I turn around for three seconds and she's hugging you. I'm like, what? And I'm like dragging her off by her collar. I'm like, I'm so sorry. This won't happen Wasn't again. Wasn't it also on your birthday? It was also my birthday, yes. So... On my birthday, she got to meet Mazaki, so it was a win-win for everybody. But yes, no, and we are excited to have you on and, you know, kind of talk about a few things that you've been going through and, and obviously an extremely successful career that we want to kind of just know about. Mike has a few questions, doesn't he? Yeah, I've got a couple. Um, Madison, you obviously... You've talked and been pretty open about what it was like uh, growing up um, and, and that it wasn't the easiest life. There was there were bullying issues, um, things like that. I, I've been very interested in how you um, ha have dealt with that as you've had this intense media exposure upon you as a, as a top 10 player in the world um, and, and how you've made a, a transition to being able to deal with that as the scrutiny I'm sure right now is, is much more and also has some similarities and parallels to what you went through as a child. 
Yeah, I um, it was definitely difficult for me. I was pretty lucky growing up. I was only in school until fourth grade, and then I was homeschooled after that. Um, but I had a great, you know, first, I guess, four years of my school career. And then after that was homeschooled, and I had a great group of friends when I was at a tennis academy, and then I went pro when I was 14. And all of a sudden, I was thrown into the spotlight um, at 14, and it was a lot to handle. And I had a lot of people telling me, you know, I was fat, I was slow, all of these things. And um, and then shortly after going pro, Twitter and Instagram became hmm. a much bigger <laughs> thing. So immediately got thrown into that. And it was just something that I had to deal with, not only as just a... 14 to 17 18 year old but also as a professional tennis player who people were betting on and wanting to do well and all of that so it was definitely something that was a struggle that I had to kind of learn from at a pretty young age I mean you know I'm around 200 in the world Bjorn's like 110 you know we understand media to a certain extent, but what is it on a day in day out basis being a top 10 player or top 20, 30 player? I mean, what does it feel like? Does it feel like you are under a microscope like you hear? I mean, you know, tell us. It's definitely, it can definitely be intense. Um, more than anything, it's just like the expectation. And for me, I made my first semifinal in Australia, I think in 2015. And then after that, it was like, I was expected to win everything I played. And if it, if it was a loss before a quarterfinal, it was the most tragic, devastating thing that had ever happened to anyone. <laughs> which it was like, okay, I had one really good tournament, which was awesome. <laughs> but now I'm supposed to beat everyone always. So that was, that was a lot. And it just takes some time to figure out you don't need to listen to everyone. And just as long as you kind of have your core group and that's all you're really taking opinions from, then it doesn't really matter. Yeah, so how, how do you select that core group? I, I, I talked to Jim Madrigal. Um, I know you worked with him just for a, a short period mm -hmm. of time last year. And he, he talked about how he wanted to make sure you have that, that group of people around you as much as possible. And I know he tried to incorporate that a little bit. But how do you select that core group that you, you do have around you to support you and, and really kind of push you and also um, emotionally support you in the, those negative times? It's... It's been a little difficult at times, obviously. You find people who say that they want to be there and all of that, but really they just want the perks of being around someone. <laughs> like Mike Hampton. Yeah, I know a lot about that. <laughs> it's tough, you know? <laughs> but um, I've had a lot of great people in my life from a young age. My agent has been the only agent that I've had since I was 14. I met him when I was like 11, so I've known him for a long time. He's not afraid to tell me when he thinks I'm doing something wrong, <laughs> which is sometimes good to have in your corner. Um, and then from there, it's just finding the people who in your low moments are there just as much as the people who are there when you're on top of the world. You know, we talked about you being under a microscope and how that could be, you know, really challenging at times. But and this could be a, an interesting question being where you are one of the top players in the world compared to struggling on the challenger tour or the itf tour necessarily how do you compare the paths i you know i'm not sure how long you were on those tours for if you went back to them but i mean 
you know, you, obviously you're close to Bjorn again. You see what he's dealing with day in, day out on the challenger. I mean, how do you compare the paths on a day in, day out, week in, week out basis, you know, to what you're going through playing those bigger tournaments? It's definitely been eye-opening being around Bjorn the last couple of years. I was on the challenge tour probably, I mean, I started when I was young. So I was on, I started when I was 14. But even then, I was already sprinkling in WTA tournaments and some pretty big tournaments. And then pretty much by 19, I was pretty much solely WTA tournaments. Um, and when you're kind of just on your own and thinking about yourself, it still kind of feels like a grind and all of that. And week in and week out, you're going to another tournament in a hotel, all of that. But then dating someone who's now on the challenger tour and seeing his weekly schedule, I kind of feel bad for complaining ever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely different, but the same, if that makes any sense. I just, I remember, I believe it was 2018 and we were, Bjorn and I were sitting eating dinner in Chicago watching somebody play the semifinals of the U.S. Open. And I was obviously rooting for you. He was obviously, he loves you. He was rooting for you. But we were like, shit, we want to fucking be there. Like, <laughs> like we literally have a curfew here in, in Chicago that we can't be outside <laughs> after 6 p.m. And here she is playing in front of 20,000 people, probably, I mean, maybe not with the loss, but having the time of your life. I was yeah. Like, this feels weird. Like, and I was feeling weird for Bjorn. I'm like, he loves you. And obviously wants you to do incredibly well, but like, he's like, fuck, I want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's funny because then I come off that loss and in his mind, he's thinking I would pay money mm-hmm. to be in the situation. And I come off that court and I'm like, I want to die. This is like <laughs> the worst day of my whole life. I can't believe I just lost. It's just two totally different perspectives. And I think it's been, it's kind of been good for both of us Mm. for me to, okay, I'm incredibly fortunate. I've had a really great career. I obviously want to do more, but kind of remembering this is a lot of people's dream and I'm living that. How have you developed that perspective with all of the charity work that you've done, I know this week you were doing Christmas shopping um, for kids in need. How have you found that perspective so that those off, uh, those on-court losses have not had as much of an impact in your personal life? I really got involved with it a few years ago. It was, um, I think it was 2016. I was in uh, Birmingham at the time and there, it was a string of mass shootings in the States. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in England and thinking, I'm not doing enough. Like, I go on a tennis court and I'm doing it for myself. Obviously, people are inspired and that's amazing. But I've built a platform and I'm not doing anything with it. So it became really important to me just to try to make sure that I was trying to put more positive into the world. So since then, I've become a lot more just comfortable with myself, I think. Uh, Just feeling like 
day in and day out. I'm just trying to do a little bit more every day. And it just makes me feel more content. You know, kind of along those lines, Mike and I have spoken about this before where we talk about does Federer with who he is as a tennis player, does he have the responsibility to continue to give back after his career to the sport of tennis, to the players, to grow it? And we fight it back and forth. We really don't have a good answer. I mean, for somebody who's as influential as you on and off the court as an American tennis player... Do you feel that not only to give back in charity and outside, but to try to help grow the sport of tennis? I think it's a personal choice for everyone. I think that I would love to grow the game of tennis simply because I want to continue to see tennis to do well. And if in five or six years it was dying, I would feel terrible. Mm. Um, So I feel like, it is. I want to try to get kids involved and all of that. I Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, again, we talk about this a lot. I already see the sport not being where it needs to be, not progressing where it needs to be. Um, and I think a lot of you guys could help that. But is it for me to ask you guys to do it? Or, I mean, is, is there talk at the top level? Like, can we be doing this more? Should we be doing this more? It's, it's actually one of the reasons why I tried and successfully got elected to the player council board for the WTA. I wanted to be behind the scenes figuring out why certain decisions were being made. And there's definitely a lot of people who want to go in that direction. But then there's also the traditionalists who don't want to see things changing. And I think a lot of the problem is that you have extremists on both ends. And we just kind of have to figure out how to find a middle ground and grow the sport while also keeping the majority of people happy. From that perspective, one of the big issues for me is the idea of more of a unionization type of a mentality for players um, so they're, uh, so that the WTA, the ATP is not having to represent both tournaments and players. Why do you think that that hasn't happened yet? I think it just gets really tough. I know that it's one, I think it's almost impossible for players to be a union simply because we're under international rules Mm -hmm. instead of a single country. Um, And it's also tricky because the WTA needs the players and the tournaments. So it's, I mean, the ATP as well. So it's just this weird system that, you don't really see in any other sport. Yeah, I mean, I, I've i actually spoken to a lot of the ATP guys, and I'm like, I can't believe we haven't done this. Or th- and they're like, actually, we tried to. We just can't get the players to agree on anything. Yeah, well, and that's the other thing. There's 300 people who all have different opinions, and we get locked into a room, and then no one can agree on anything. Really? One says no, one says yes, the other says I don't care, and you're like, where do we go from here? Right, and even if you get you know, the 10 people on the board all to agree, you then have to go sell it to all of the players. And if you have six in the top 50 who are saying, no, I don't want that, (laughs) then how do you keep trying to push something forward? Yeah, it kind of seems like a stand. So, but we, I I do think we have to get a form of unionization somewhere that, that can encompass who we are and separate ourselves from 
you know, the tournament, so we have our own say. But, you know, I think that's going to take some time. But to kind of get back to, you know, there's a saying, obviously, the grass is always greener. We say it all the time. I, I say it probably five times a day. But we always say once we get to top 100, once we get to 75 in the world, it's going to get better. You're where we hope to be one day. You know, little things like picking your tournament schedule, you know, knowing where you're going to be at certain times. And you see it with Bjorn, you see it with the people around you at, at Lake Nona. I mean, how does that feel? I mean, how does, it, how does it feel to be able to kind of go your own path? I mean, I definitely pretty much every year know my schedule from start to finish other than two or three weeks. Maybe I sub something in or out. Um, so for me, it's pretty much, I know what I'm going to play. I did it last year. I'm going to do it again this year. Mm. It's definitely a lot easier as far as planning wise. It seems like something always happens every year, one week where your perfect plan blows up in your face still, <laughs> but it's definitely a lot easier knowing okay, I'm going to get in the main draw of all these tournaments. I can show up on this day. I'm going to leave on this day. I'm going to go to the next tournament. So as far as scheduling-wise, it's definitely a lot easier. I mean, how, yeah, how do you pick that schedule, though? I mean, it seems like you're able to then maximize where you, you will be best um, in, in terms of court speed, surface. It's just about, about that in, in terms of picking what tournaments to go to. It's somewhat that the, and I'm obviously not 100% sure about the ATP rules, but the women, we have a certain amount of tournaments that we have to play. Right. We're required to play. So you obviously, you start with all of those sure. and then you kind of pick and choose the weeks that you have options. Do I like this city better? Do I play better here? So it's pretty easy because you have your main 12 or 15 kind of set out and then you handpick what you want put into i remember last year talking about bjorn quickly yeah it must seem like i have only one friend on tour which i basically <laughs> do <laughs> but um you know we were talking you were going to asia and a little burnt out maybe didn't want to go to asia but you had to go. Can you kind of go into that situation and the monetary value of that situation a little bit or yeah, whatever you feel comfortable with? It's always a tough time of the year, um, especially if you do well at the U.S. Open. And I think the past couple of years, I've done well in the U.S. Open series as well. So it's been a lot of tournaments, high emotion, lots of night matches. And then I get home and it's like, okay, you're going to China for three weeks and four days. And you're like, <laughs> cool. Okay. I just got home. Haven't wrapped my brain around this at all, but here we go. And for us, um, Beijing is a mandatory tournament. So if you don't play, you get a zero pointer. And depending on your ranking, it's a fine of anywhere from 10 to $75,000, I think. Okay. Um, I certainly do not want to pay seventy five thousand dollars in a fine ever. So that's when you suck it up and you say, "I'm getting on a plane in four days." Um, yeah, so there's definitely times of the year where you feel burnt out and all you want to do is sit on your couch for an extra week, and then someone says, "That's fine, but 
you have to write a paycheck for X amount of dollars. And you say, mm, I don't want to sit on my couch that badly. <laughs> I just remember I, w- I woke up. And I, it was actually at night. And I, and I saw this Snapchat of you. It was like that meme where you flick the top of the wine bottle and you drink it. And that is exactly <laughs> what I saw. And I was like, okay, that's that's it right there. That encompasses everything. But um, yeah, I mean, we again, we talk about this all the time. But tennis being as grueling of a sport as it is, I mean – even with you being fortunate enough to not play nearly as many tournaments as some of the guys outside the top 100, do you still feel like we have to shorten the schedule? This is a must to actually enact some of these smaller changes that can take place where instead of 11 months, it's nine. I mean, is that a must for you? I think, I think we have to try to move in that direction. I, and people are getting, having longer and longer careers. So we want to extend those careers even further. And I can't think of anyone in the, oh God, the top 150 who hasn't had multiple weeks every single year of I'm hurt, I can't play, I'm going to rehab, and then I'll try to come back. Um, Noah's been a big proponent of team competitions um, as, as part of the schedule. Uh, you were a part of a team competition last night, I believe, as we're recording this, part of the Stars and Stripes competition down at uh, at Lake Nona. Disappointing loss for you guys. Um, it was it was tough. Yeah, it was tough to follow. Um, you, you've also popped in for a couple of world team tennis type of events. Do you see that as part of uh, a long-term um, solution to kind of growing the sport of tennis as well, more team competitions? I definitely think it's something that we – could do more of I think you see the old format of Fed Cup and Davis Cup I obviously have only played Fed Cup and only been to home and away ties and people get so excited to cheer for their country and world team tennis people love playing it it's quick it's fast and it's fun to be a part of the team I get super nervous on a team like Mm -hmm. even last night I felt ridiculously nervous for trying to hit targets and then playing (laughs) a 10-point tiebreaker (laughs) <laughs> like I was stressed <laughs> for some reason and it's just fun and it's nice to have you know a bench to look at and you have a bunch of teammates there to cheer you on and it's fun to cheer for them so it's I think it's definitely something that I would love to be a part of more um it, it, it... As somebody who has done more of a pop-in on the world team tennis, I know Noah's going to try to do a little bit more of it uh, next year. Do you see uh, any type of a long-term... Noah's been a big proponent of actually having like half the season be individual, half the season be team. Do you think that's even remotely realistic? I would only say no, (laughs) simply because of the schedule that we have. So I think if nothing changed, it would be basically impossible to do. If you could get everyone on board, anything is possible. Yeah, I mean, I've when, I, when I'm going up and talking to some of the top guys at ATP, it's been tough to talk to the WTA, but I have at times, they say that it's even tough to change the schedule from 11 to 9 months because they pay for those tournaments at that point in time and... If those are like one of the 10 tournaments that we make a lot of money from, right. how do we change them and say, actually, whether we actually may take you guys out or put you guys three months earlier when it's less crowded? And they're like, what do we do then? But, you know, have you ever thought about um, 
you know, what are the major things you deal with that you're like, I just can't do this anymore on tour or something that you need to see change, even if it's just the smallest little thing, like I need better food or something like that. I think the biggest thing is it's just like everyone is tired. Everyone is hurt. And it (laughs) seems like you go into the training room and there's never enough people to help versus all of the broken tennis players that are in there <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, and I mean, it's tough because you then rely on the ATP and WTA to pay for people to go everywhere and all of that. So it's just, it's tough. It's, it's <laughs> fascinating to me because I, I think that is the exact response I've heard from literally a hundred tennis players. And yet we can't get it done we can't find a way to solve it it's it's a ton of different reasons it's most people don't want to travel as much as tennis requires to be tennis requires you to it's expensive it's there's so many reasons for why we can't get it to work and there's one reason as to why we all need it to work and a lot of the times the long list of reasons does not always trump the one why we need it. I have one last question because uh, you probably heard rumors of this on the ATP tour of a boycott. You know, we talked about how it's possible at Australian Open still nobody really knows what's going to happen if players are really going to boycott it. But is that a possibility? Could you see getting 75 players out of the top 150 to say we're not going to play a Grand Slam, or we're not going to play one of the premier events. Do you see that ever taking place? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's hard to say. Like, you you can't really speak for other people, and it's tough when maybe the higher ranked players are willing to say, no, I'm not going to do it, but a lot of people need the money so that they can travel for the rest of the year, so... It's hard to say in their perspective, like it's how can I say no and not go on a court when no matter what, I get a giant check that can help me pay for the rest of my expenses. So it's such a, it's such a tricky situation. Says no win, but, uh, I think I have the most important question of the podcast right now. And, (laughs) Oh God. (laughs) And this is coming from just a little Jewish boy. Is it a real or fake tree, and how do you choose between them? <laughs> I have had real trees in the past. Okay. And it sounds like a pain in the ass, though. My biggest concern, and again, I'm a little bit of a crazy person, is that I'll forget to water it. Yes. And it will, like, catch on fire. Yes. And then my whole house will go up in flames. <laughs> I do not like to have anxiety in any way that I can avoid anxiety. If I had someone who could be like, Madison, did you order the tree every day? I'd have a real tree every single year. Yep. The days that I'm in and out of my house and I'm practicing and all that. The other day, my mom called me and she goes, did you check the date today? And I was like, no, mom, it's off season. Like all of the days are the same. Because well, it's December 10th. And I was like, it's your birthday. (laughs) Right. So if I can't remember my own mother's birthday during off season, remembering to water a tree, 
it's probably not gonna happen she called you for her birthday <laughs> yes she she called me and she was the only reason she called me and bless my mother's heart was so that i didn't feel bad mm. and wake up in like a day or two and be like i missed your birthday i'm, I'm the, the world's worst daughter, worst daughter. Yeah. <laughs> cool. it's like well now i only feel like half of the world's worst daughter <laughs> fine at least once you told me the date, I remembered. Were you able to quickly send flowers, like call somebody and get flowers over there or something well, along that those was, lines? That was the other thing. My sister and I had already bought her birthday present. Mm. So I already had the present done. Okay. I just, the actual day just flew by me. Noah, have I told you my Madison Keys story? I don't believe so. My my dad walks in with my, my grandfather for his checkup for his 92nd birthday in Rock Island, <laughs> Illinois, which is where oh, Madison's goodness. from. Uh, and, and this guy, this doctor, is a huge tennis fan. And so my dad walks in, and there's a picture, two pictures on the wall. There's the diplomas. One picture <laughs> is of Madison Keys. The other picture is of Mike Cation. And my dad's like, <laughs> why the hell do you have a picture of my son on your wall? He's like, I'm a huge tennis fan. Madison's from up the road. And, and you know, James Cation is, is my patient. So, I, you know, I, I know Mike as a result. And it's just like, holy hell. So there's, there's this one man in Rock Island, Illinois, who has a picture of both Madison Keys and, and myself. And it's just like this, this huge, momentous, I mean, this unique I'm human I'm so being. sorry for you, Madison, <laughs> that you had to be on the same platform. Yeah, I mean, we're like pretty much tennis. equal. We're equal now. I mean, we are. We're on the same wall. Right. We won't, we won't show paychecks at the end of the year, but we're, we're almost there, guys. We're really team effort. Really great. But, you know... The guys upstairs that um, have the rest of the house that I've rented are putting up a tree, and I've never had a tree, and it's really exciting. And and it's, I'm starting almost to believe in that guy upstairs. Like Jesus, I like, mean, really... can't you have like a Jewish tree? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a bush, and it it's automatically on fire. Like it comes on fire, and you get right. Men- but can we yeah. have like just a very small? Not Christmas tree, but a tree, and then make it Jewish. Put a dreidel on it. There's only so many times I could spin the dreidel and listen to Adam Sandler sing his three songs There's <laughs> until I cry myself to sleep. And I'm a proud Jew. I really am. But this is our holiday, and nothing happens. And I really like latkes. Latkes are great. Fine. We could all have latkes. And there's potato pancakes, and we're all happy. I have no tr- I have no happiness with that. So I'm I'm going to find a Jewish tree for you. <laughs> Jewish tree? Is it kosher? Is that how it is? I I don't know. I'm gonna make it work. No. What happens is I'm gonna see you this time next year, and then we're gonna celebrate Christmas together. I'm gonna have an enjoyable Christmas. That's what's happening. That sounds good. Deal. Yeah. Well, Madison, thank you so much. We really appreciate it, and have a merry Christmas. Thank you. You too. The show might be over, but the conversation isn't. Join us on social media at NoRuben33 and at Mike C. Tennis. We want to hear your opinions and stories behind the racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us ratings on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you behind the racket on the Coffee Cast with Casey and Ruben.